Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to day 24 of the 7 a.m. Novelist 50 Day Writing Challenge, first draft edition. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. This week we're talking about what you might need in your early pages. And today we're specifically talking about the idea of the point of attack with Ron McLean. I'm so excited to have Ron with us. He is in my writing groups and I I get the benefit of his feedback in that way. He also teaches the short story uh, incubator um, at at Grub Street. Um, and so um, just as a, a side note, so I've actually been up since like 4.30 today, and which sounds frightening. However, I do recommend if you wake up in the middle of the night, um, I oftentimes will focus on a problem, a particular narrative problem that I'm having because it's much better to focus on that than various other political nightmares or other worries that you might have, because you actually have control over that. Um, and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I hit something, it was a combination of characters that I hit. Um, and so I, I highly recommend always, I, I talked about the idea of Goethe's do not, do not hurry, do not rest. So this is like a literal do not rest. Um, but, but if you find yourself in the shower or walking or awake at night, give yourself kind of a narrative puzzle to work over. Cause I always think that all solutions can be, all problems can be solved. Um, and always com- combining characters. And that's more than just killing them off in the book. That's like getting rid of them before the book even starts or the story, combining settings, combining events, simplifying as much as you can so that what remains has much more power. I also call it reducing the sauce. So if any of you cook, and I actually am not much of a cook, but if any of you cook, you add all sorts of ingredients and in, all sorts of stuff. And you could eat the sauce just like that, but it's gonna taste a little watery. It's gonna taste a little uninteresting. But if you steam it and are able to steam away some of the extras, um, some of the water, some of the, some of the uh, extra residue that the ingredients put off, then what you have left is something very, very rich. So I highly recommend reducing the sauce and also solving your problems at 4.30 a.m. All right, Ron. I, I did that yesterday. Yes, Literally. very helpful. <laughs> Ron is the author of the story collections, We Might As Well Light Something on Fire. This is why I want him on the point of attack because he had this collection called, again, We Might As Well Light Something on Fire, which I love. He also he has another collection called Why the Long Face and the novels uh, Blue Winter Skies and Headlong. Uh, He's the winner of the 2014 Indie Award for Best Mystery. McLean's fiction has appeared widely in magazines, including GQ, Narrative, Fiction International, and elsewhere. He's the recipient of the Frederick Exley Award for Short Fiction and multiple Pushcart Prize nominee. He holds a Doctor of Arts from the University of Albany, SUNY, and teaches at Grub Street in Boston. Okay, Ron, thank you so much for being on our show. For you... What is this idea of the point of attack? What does it mean? We touched on it a little bit with Davey yesterday, but I think Ron has a different idea about it, which I love. Go for it. Yeah, thanks. Um, First of all, uh, hi, everybody, and thanks for having me, Michelle. I love this idea, and I'm grateful I only have to get up and be coherent (laughs) one day out of the 50. I'm usually up at this hour, but not coherent, grunting. Um, Point of attack. Uh, I know, like, in the in 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 coming from the world of drama, it's really about uh, building off the inciting incident um, and something really plot based. And it is often that for me as well. But because a lot of what I write is not 
uh, plot is not necessarily the primary engine um, of a lot of what I write. I'm looking for other points of attack to point of attack, if you will. So other other ways in. And so as I've thought about it over the years and thought, talked to students about it, for me, it's really about what's the first point of urgency that you recognize in what you're writing about. And like, I'm always looking for the markers of urgency, tension, yeah. pressure, whether, whether it's pressure on a character, pressure on a situation, pressure in the language, or even in the telling. You know, the, the, the telling of the tale sometimes is, how do I tell this? There's four places I could go here. Um, and just to sort of look for those moments where you as a writer feel a sense of urgency in the story or a sense of pressure on the story. And to, uh, so for me, it's like, where, where is the earliest point where you feel that pressure? That for me is one way to think about the point of attack is where's the first moment of urgency that you recognize in yourself and that you want to bring to readers and then how do I come at that where I can convey that urgency to you know through the manuscript excellent um, yeah and, I love that I think that and in that sense it's like it doesn't matter whether it's plot-based language-based whether it's you know a wave structure um what you're really looking to do is establish a pattern of one kind or another and to and to indicate to readers this is something to pay attention to yeah. Which, of course, is what we want to do in the early pages is give readers a roadmap of these are the things that are really important. These are the things you should be watching for. These are the moments where I'm going to ask, you know, try to make you feel something. Yes, yes. So like yesterday, um, so kind of the traditional idea of the point of attack is, and we talked about this with Steve Bieber. Um, so if you look at Hamlet, you've got mm -hmm. the inciting incident in Hamlet is um actually happens before the play begins. And this oftentimes happens in novels and stories that, that mm -hmm. someone gets pregnant. Um, that happens a lot in novels. That happened in um, Salvage the Bones. It happens in Felicia's Journey. So the person, so you've already have a problem before the early pages even begin. Um, mm -hmm. And we're told that in backstory. So a problem that unsettles their world and then a separate point of attack you sometimes need, or as Davy Snively was talking about, possibly you can refer to it as a second inciting incident. Right. So in Hamlet, it is that the king appears to Hamlet and says, you have to find my killer. So now we've got, and, and if you're looking at the, the, um, the hero's journey, you might also refer to that as it could be the call to act, um, that sort of thing. Um, and then um, Davy also referred to Wizard of Oz. So in Wizard of Oz, um, Dorothy uh, runs, her, her Toto runs away and she meets up with the, the, the nasty little neighbor. And there's that, that first incident that kind of gets her in trouble because she's rebelling. Um, mm -hmm. And that, the inciting incident. And then, um, but the tornado, is what Davies called the second inciting incident, or we can traditionally think of it as the point of attack. But I love this idea of kind of, of, of urgency is perfect. And then repetition of something of patterns, because I do, yeah. I saw that when she was talking about the Wizard of Oz, is that the first one that basically the both incidents are, are patterns, you know, she, yeah. she um, pisses off the old neighbor um she gets in trouble for it and it happens because she's rebelling and then she makes a, a larger rebellion and she actually kills metaphorically the old neighbor um and it continues because then she's got to kill the witch 
Um, yeah. That actually is becomes her action that she has to do. Um, so it's yeah. constant parallel events. Um, yeah. I think Charles Baxter even has an essay on this that I need to find about parallel events. But so you're not necessarily talking about parallel events, or maybe you are, or maybe you're talking about parallel language. Like where are those repetitions that you're talking about? Yeah, I think parallel events, parallel language, it could be either one. It really, a lot of what I think about, a lot of what I talk to students about is think as much as, you, as much as you're aware in the early stages of what is the center of the, of the book you're working on? What's the center of the story you want to tell? And again, not so, not necessarily in terms of, of the plot, but I'll give a very quick example. So I, it's a story that'll be in my forthcoming collection um, that I refer to as the Speckled Chicken Hotel story. Uh, you <laughs> I've know, read Michelle. this story. It's a great story. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's it's really about a, there is something awful going on in the world. Obviously it was inspired by the pandemic, but something is happening big in the world. There's this, there's this infection, there's mold spores everywhere. Uh, this couple goes to, because their apartment's flooded, goes to check into a hotel, bad things start happening. But the, when I thought about that story in light of this point of attack idea, like the, the this couple goes to check into a hotel, you know that, that there's like, a worldwide problem, worldwide trouble. Um, and they are held up at check-in to say, you have to have this eye test first. Just like, what's going on? But then, so that's, a, I think, a marker of what's going on here. But then what becomes a pattern is in the lobby of the hotel, this speckled chicken walks by. So hopefully the effect on a reader is, what is the chicken doing in the lobby of a hotel? Why is nobody else noticing this or paying attention to it? And that's very much a pattern throughout the story. And it's not just a uh, uh, mixed metaphor intended. It's not just a red herring. The chickens end up being really important to the story. You but it, but yeah. at first, I think I'm just counting on like, what is that and what's it doing there? Kind yeah. of in the same way that, that you know, if you go back to The Wizard of Oz for a sec, when Dorothy encounters her mean neighbor, the mean neighbor as a mean neighbor isn't important, but 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 she's important because she's the wicked witch. Yes. And so we focus on her because we need to remember her, but yes. we don't need to remember her as the neighbor necessarily I mean, in a small in a in a little way we do. And the important thing is that the story keeps going back to her instead of creating exactly. new events or new problems or even new characters. Um, exactly. Because I think what people sometimes do, especially in novels, is that they get scared and they're like, well, I need to have a lot of a material. I need to have a lot of event happen. And so they start to yeah. run away from what yeah. they already have instead of working through these patterns and digging into what they already have. And I'm actually, I've done it. I've, I've, yeah. I've, I've done that problem myself because um, your mind just starts going, um, but yeah. paying attention to, we talked about this idea of burrowing actually in the first week, paying attention to what you already have, um, yeah. repeating it, deepening it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what I mean about finding that center. Like what's the core of what you're working on and just make sure that in some way, even if it's just a chicken walking through the room, that you're reminding readers about it, even before it, you know, matters in yeah. a deep way. Yeah. Uh, make sure something matters in the moment that's going on. But sometimes it's just a matter of bring that thing back. Amy Bender, who's one of my favorite people and writers, talks about it as just pay attention to what's already in the room and and just, you know, there's there's a coffee cup already on the desk. How am I going to bring that back in? But 
especially yeah. with the stuff that matters. Just don't let it go too long before you come back to it or remind readers that it's there at the very least. Wonderful. So it acts as kind of an engine for you. And this reminds yeah. me of we're going to we're going to spend a whole other session talking about escalations, which which is an mm -hmm. idea that George Saunders and others have written about escalations. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and in, in his discussion, he talks about the story, The School by Donald Bartlemy. And so actually, your chicken uh -huh. story sounds similar that that there are kind of repetitions because the school, I think the, I think the gerbil has died or the hamster has died. And then he, he continues with that and the desks get worse and worse and worse. And, yes. um, uh, but yeah. he doesn't again, run away from his material and he just escalates again what he already has. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's another story um, of Donald Barthelme's called Among the Beanwoods that is at the I mean, I think of him as sort of going from strange to ultra strange um, or, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll just stay with that. But uh, Among the Beanwoods is among his most language based. It's really hard to figure out, like, what is the story here? But I've taught the story a bunch of times. Students either love it or hate it. But you start taking apart the language, even in the first few sentences, he's creating a pattern based on the way the sentences are constructed, like literally the way the sentences are constructed, phrases that at first make no sense. Like there, he talks about canned hams a lot in this story that takes place in the jungle. And it's like, what do what? canned hams have to do with anything? But the simple fact they keep coming back and then they pay off. So, yeah. so it's one of those things that like something, it's almost like one of those questions on a test, which of these doesn't belong, but you notice it because it's so much doesn't belong. And then eventually as the pattern continues, you've accumulated so much about it and then he can start to bring meaning to it. That, so notice, yeah. So this idea can't just be, the thing that you're escalating and repeating can't just be so it's something that doesn't belong. It is the speckled chicken that's walked into a hotel lobby that shouldn't be there, or it's the the can of spam ham or whatever. Yeah, or it's um, you know you have this idyllic setting again in Wizard yeah. of Oz, and 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 yet there's a nasty neighbor, and so she doesn't belong. Yeah. So yeah. there there is kind and of an extreme tornado of, sure doesn't belong. Well, and the tornado sure doesn't belong. Um, yeah. So there is um, there is a choice made of, of of a of a difference, something that stands out. It could even be loud, or it could be something quiet, like a chicken. Yeah. Um, and then it just escalates from there. So we have um, we have a question. Mary yeah. is asking Ron, what makes a sh a story a short story? But I think before our that's a huge question. But before we that even get to that, maybe and maybe this will get to the answer of that. In your mind, how do these things work differently in a short story versus a novel? Because you've done both. Yeah, um, I think it's easier just because it's a it's more bite sized to, to address that second question to get to Mary's bigger question. Yeah, um, I think that I mean. First off, I guess I, I, I am of the opinion that short story and novel are not just of different lengths. They are different animals. Mm -hmm. um, but so how, how does it work differently in a short story? A short story is all about compression. <laughs> it is all about compression. And because it's all about compression, I think it's all about structure. Um, and in that sense, I think stories and novels are very similar. But I think um, in a story, you don't have the opportunity to repeat patterns as much or as often or to weave threads and themes in over time as much. 
So you've really got to uh, the first page, the first 75, 100 words, um, those markers in a short story are just, they're not just important, they're essential. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, the, 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 a short story, for example, in my opinion, uh, everything about the story should be contained in the first 75 words. Mm-hmm. should be implicit in the first 75 words, all the tensions, all the motifs. And I don't mean that you're like jamming words in there that make no sense. But if you look back, you should be able to identify what matters in a short story in the first 75 words. So I, I think that compression element is probably the biggest difference. And Mary, I hope that starts to address your question. Yeah, like I always think of when I when I taught short stories, um, post story that basically it begins with a line. What do you think I am mad? Um, the whole first paragraph contains everything that the story is going to become. Yeah. Um, and that line alone, the fact that he's even asking the question, okay, now the story is about the character's madness, <laughs> um, and 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 telling. And, and he's telling automatically story. an unreliable narrator just by that yes. first sentence, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> But then, okay, so, and but there's also compression in the novel. And I think people yeah. don't, people ignore the fact. They think, oh, a novel I can do anything yeah, or a novel I can just yeah. run on. And usually the first 50 pages in the novel are highly, highly compressed. Certainly the first yeah. chapter, or few, two chapters. Um, Alice McDermott talks about this idea of compression in novels a lot. And, and the best way to get a hold of the idea in which Alice McDermott uses it is her novel After This, because she's covering huge amounts of time but she really compresses. So that's Alice McDermott's after this. Um, so for you though, so compression, but also this idea of, of urgency and point of attack in the novel, how is it, how do you find that? Um, how do I find it in the novel? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, first draft- a huge, difficult question. <laughs> a huge, difficult question. And I, I think a lot of that, comes around to the notion of first drafts, which you know I know is the focus here, but and I think people have such different approach pr- approaches to first drafts. So th- the reason I harp on urgency so much is I think it's a great way to find places that are just dead <laughs> in a manuscript. Uh, yeah. And like, if you can't get invested in it, your reader's not gonna be invested in it. So like, I think finding that sense of urgency is incredibly important, but it's also because, um, the way that I work is I don't necessarily write in order. I will just, if I know a moment of urgency or feel some urgency in something, I'll just write scenes completely out of order and keep following the urgency or urgencies as a way to understand the material better. Mm-hmm. So my first drafts tend to be really incoherent because I'm not doing this. I'm bouncing around all over the place following the urgency. and. Yeah. So it's usually for me a second draft where I start taking all these moments that feel alive to me and say like, again, what was the core of what I was thinking of and how do I stitch that together so that it makes some kind of sense and there's a trajectory there. And I don't know if I answered the question at all, but. (laughs) Well, (laughs) um, but I think the important thing, so the problem I had in in a recent draft and that I'm still working at and is why I woke up at 4.30 a.m. this morning was that 
I was interested in idea. I felt an urgency in the yeah. idea as the writer. And we normally say, oh, yeah. if the writer is interested in it, the reader yeah. will be interested in it. And you know what? That's not always the case. <laughs> um, and so, because it also, the, it, the you have to be grabbing that urgency and that sense of interest through your character. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, I think, I think that Maxim works the other way. If you don't feel a sense of urgency about it, your reader won't either. Exactly. But I, but yeah, I think, I think, and this is, this is what drafts and revision are all about, right? Is I think that the, I might feel the urgency, but my job doesn't stop at writing out of that urgency. My job only begins there. Then it becomes how through the nature of the web I'm creating in this story or novel, how am I conveying, his urgency is always situationally specific or circumstance specific, right? It's got a context. It's got a context emotionally for the characters involved. It's got a context in terms of a situation. If, if somebody walks into a room, if, if somebody walked into the room where you are right now and we didn't know the history of the, like, it, let's say your ex walks in. <laughs> um, if we don't know who that person is, it's just a human being walking into a room. If we know that that person is your ex and we know some of the history to where, why the hell are you in my house? What are you doing here? um you weren't invited context adds everything in terms of how this matters and if we if we don't convey that context to readers they're not going to feel they may even feel some sense of urgency like why is the language all worked up here yeah they don't understand the context emotionally or physically for how it matters to the characters involved then we haven't finished our job yeah yeah I'm thinking of, and again, I can't remember the name of the story, which is, is a disease I have, obviously, but it's a, it's a story in which a, a, a father and son are carving a pumpkin. And uh -huh. okay, so you think that that's not going to be very, there's, and it feels weighted, like something is going on, something has happened. And what we find out, we actually get the context a little later, but it, it makes us rethink everything of what we've just been presented is that we found out that the mother of the family has just had a, a, a miscarriage and a pretty awful late miscarriage, a very rather bloody miscarriage. So the, the linking of the two um, images becomes much deeper and you can probably feel it. Even as I talk about it, I get a little bit of shiver um, because of that connection. And that, and so that, that repetition or that context in which you, in which you get a shiver um, that deepens so much the present uh, presence at hand can be really important. And, and Lisa Crone, I think one great thing about, I talk about her book, Story Genius a lot. Um, <clears throat> I don't, I don't particularly like the, um, there's a story that she riffs off that a friend of hers is writing about a dog. I don't particularly, I'm not particularly impressed by that part of the book, but she does talk about, okay, going backwards uh -huh. to find the emotional core of the character yeah. as to why the present events matter. Yeah. Um, and so the whole book, she's basically forcing you to go backwards, go backwards, go backwards, to find that core, to find that context. Yeah. Um, and so, and some writers will start with that context and they actually need to find the event and some writers need exactly. to go backwards. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, I think when, like, sometimes when I get off talking about, you know, language-based or, or um, where plot isn't the primary engine of things, it's like, it's not about 
whether it's just action or just emotion that matters or whether you you know whether you write random scenes like I do and find the connection you have to do all the work at some point it's it's a question of like which work are you doing first and yeah. what are you going to come back to later because yeah. it's like you, you, there there, are, there is no way to avoid doing all the work we're talking about of like you know the events have to matter but the context of of what this event is in that person's life um and, and how that, you know, carving a pumpkin may matter just because oh, I had a lovely time with my kid, or it may matter because one of my parents passed away and the last thing we did together was carve a pumpkin. That's a whole different emotional yeah. Yeah. weight that comes to that same action. And so it's it's all about, I think, conveying that. Um, and also, and conveying it, figuring it out for yourself, but conveying it to the reader, because I think sometimes we yeah. have these events like, oh, here's a, here's a father and son carving a pumpkin and we yeah. bring an emotion to it as the writer, yeah. but the reader yeah. doesn't have that. And so they're not yeah. going to be like, why am I watching someone carving a pumpkin? Um, so you need yeah. to give that to the reader too. Yeah. Um, yep. And that's one of the questions I'm always asking that I, I think drives revision is um, <laughs> revision for me. Is, it's all about closing the gap between the story that's in your head and the story that's on the page. And just like learning techniques that can enable you to see what's actually on the page in, in exactly that way, Michelle. Like, and we all do it. Right. I know I've had moments where like, oh, I nailed this scene. And then I'll go back and people are like, yeah, that seems dead to me. Yeah. And it would be because I haven't brought any of that that context yeah or the character it. is emoting in an extreme way and we have no idea why and so actually exactly. back away from it exactly i was just about to say yeah that's a real turnoff right yeah like, I, I don't know who you are what you're doing or why you're doing it yeah it's like a stranger coming up to you on the street and and yeah. and grabbing hold of you and crying on your shoulder you want to be a good human being and pat them on the back right. but your first instinct is that you're afraid <laughs> and yeah. you want to back away yeah. Um, yeah. And so be careful with that in, in fiction. So we got some, some other things in the chat. Um, Tim says, um, maybe the reader will be interested in what you're writing, but it won't be relevant to other interests in the book. So, so that the book has too many interests and ideas pulling against each other. And again, yes, absolutely. And I, again, yes. I highly recommend simplifying your number of your characters, your number of events, your number of settings, exactly. Yeah. Um, and this, I think, is good, too. Anna's asking, can you also please talk about the connection to the character flaw or weakness? It seems this urgency or point of attack should be quite specific to the hero. Absolutely, yes. That's a great point. And that was implicit for me in what I was saying. But was it Anna? Thank you for making that explicit. Yes. And I, again, I think for me, that's one of the things about short story. I'm, I'm talking faster because I'm looking at the time. But um, one of the things about short story is I think really, really just faster. It has to be faster. It has to be briefer to hone in on those things and find those things. And going back, a quick example, going back to the Poe story, Anna, in light of your question, the, what was the wording of that sentence again, Michelle? Um, he says something about what do you think I am mad? Yeah. And so the character's weakness is, is, that he's sort of questioning his own sanity. In my speckled chicken story, the chicken walking through the hotel lobby, the narrator is the only one that knows it. The story as it unfolds is all about this narrator watching something going on in the world. He's got one idea about what it is. The whole story is built to undermine his confidence that what he sees is real. 
Mm-hmm. And so that chicken walking through the lobby becomes really important because it do, it speaks to his central concern, his weakness that I don't know that I can trust my own perceptions. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels urgent to the character and to the writer and hopefully to the reader. Again, if it has that deeper emotional context that I think you can find in the flower wound. So I think we, we mentioned the novel. Yeah. I mentioned the novel, The Orchardist yesterday um, by Amanda Copeland, in which um, the main character in early in his life lost a sister. She went just went missing. And so when two young girls show up and need help from him, um, that's going to emotionally resonate with him. Um, and it's going to give urgency to him more than it would to anybody else because he's got and that 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 missing sister is his flaw or wound. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's, it's like ringing a bell in him that it, a bell that wouldn't be rung in, in other people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, OK. You know, we also have a question, you know, um, about short stories. Is there a common theme or story theme in, in the short story collections? There can be. Um, and there's the whole thing of, of linked stories and that sort of thing. We'll have to do another day on that, I think, because that's, that's a whole, that's can a whole I, can big I do, thing. Can I do 20 seconds yes, on that? Yes, yes. I, I think, I, I do think it's a really important if you are creating a short story collection to, to know in your mind what connects the stories, whether it's a theme, whether it's stylistically relevant, whether um, the collection I have forthcoming are all stories that were inspired by the pandemic, not about the pandemic. But that's, if nothing else, it gives you a way to talk to potential agents and publishers about it. But I think it also starts to identify a thread that might not be visible to readers on the first pass, but as you revise, you can look for those commonalities that you're aware of and build on them. And I think that's incredibly important. That was more than 20 seconds, sorry. It's okay. Um, And also just Julie also says one thing um, in the chat, is it conveying urgency or point of attack? These two seem to convey two different things. I actually, I do think it's the same. So I think the point of attack gives urgency. Um, So it probably is usually an event that gives an emotion probably. In some way. Yep. Okay. So those might be two sides of the same coin. And we also have in the chat, someone wants to know where to find the Speckled Chicken Hotel story. And that's upcoming in a story collection, correct? It's upcoming in a story collection and it will be out in the magazine Barrel House any day now. Barrel House. Okay. Excellent. So thank you all, everyone. I want to get you back to your writing desk. Thank you so much, Ron. You're a star. And um Tomorrow, we're going to talk further about Henry James' idea of character de- uh, character determines incident, incident reveals character. Um, and we're going to be with Lise Haynes and Catherine Sherbrooke. Um, and if you support what we're doing, please share, follow, and rate our 7 a.m. Novelist podcast. You can find our full schedule at 7amnovelist.substack.com. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Ron. Let's all have a fabulous writing day. Like a leaf inside the wind And you go where it tells you to go But you never wonder why There isn't nothing here at all